Welcome to this latest edition of the Real Deal Podcast. This very special edition of the Real Deal Podcast, episode 908. We are recording this on a Sunday evening. Hope everybody out there is enjoying their Labor Day weekend. Uh, I told you that I was coming with a back to school special, and uh, you know, I was going to deliver on deliver on that promise. Uh, of course, we're going to be looking back at, frankly, one of the greatest episodes in the history of television, The Wire, Season 4, Episode 13, Final Grades. Um, this, I think, see, so I think that this is uh, the, the, the season 4 of The Wire, I believe, is the greatest season in the history of television. Now, am I biased towards The Wire being the greatest show of all time? Of course. But is it the greatest show of all time? Of course. So... Season four, of course, dealt with the school system. Um, I again, you can watch it. I mean, of course, I recommend that you have to watch the whole series to get it. But you, you actually could watch season four on its by itself, and of course, you're gonna miss things from season th- the previous three seasons. But it will still be a great watch. Um, season four, of course, is my favorite season. Episode thirteen, season four, I think was my favorite episode of of the season, and I think personally. I think uh, that this is that this is the greatest, second greatest, episode, second greatest episode in the history of the show behind Middle Ground, which of course was the episode where Stringer Bell got killed. Spoiler alert! Listen, the show's been done for like twenty plus years, so you know, sorry. So, but Vulture, and if you remember when me and Rob sat, we're looking back at the wire. We would go and uh, see where Vulture would, would rank each individual episode. Vulture did not agree with me because, in terms of all-time episodes, Vulture had actually had this episode ranked fourth, which behind Middle Ground, Boys of Summer, and and uh, Thirty, which was the season, the series finale, and a very underrated series finale. I think one of the best series finales in television history in terms of how they wrapped up the show. So they had it fourth. I had it second behind Middle Ground. We both agreed that Middle Ground. Was the uh, was the greatest episode, wire episode of all time? Boys of Summer was great, but Boys of Summer is not. I wouldn't put Boys of Summer in my top five, or maybe in my top ten of wire episodes myself. Great episode, but not. Uh, I think they, they think I think they're overranking uh, Boys of Summer. Uh, this was the second longest episode up until this point. When it came out, this was the second. This was the the second. Uh, this ended up being the second longest episode in the history of the show, hour and 19 minutes. When it came out, it was the uh, longest-running episode in the history of the show before the series finale overtook it, about an hour and 30 minutes. It was directed by Ernest Dickerson. He he directed a few of the Wire episodes. Um, this was a very tough... It was a great episode, but it was a very difficult uh, and powerful watch because, first of all, I couldn't help to think, but the actors... And all three of them had big roles in this episode and, and were major players over the course of this, the, the series, the duration of the, the entire series. But I couldn't help but to think about the actors who had passed away, who have passed away since uh, the show ended and uh, since this episode came out. Uh, Robert Chu, Michael K. Williams, and, Lan- and recently, mostly recently this year, Lance Reddick all passed away. Uh, Reddick, Lance Reddick, and uh, Robert Chu has been there for a while now. I think like 10 years ago. But, of course, Michael K. Williams and Lance Reddick died within the last two years. So you couldn't help but to watch this episode and notice that. Um, I would say uh, that this, again, that this episode was was a very, again, a very difficult watch. 
for so many reasons, so many reasons. But um, we now get to the we now will go through the themes, uh, themes. So no, before we even go to uh, go through the themes, uh, we'll get to the recap quick uh, recap of what happened. Omar rides into the sunset for now. Bubbles hits rock bottom, and Bodie reaches his breaking point. So themes rock bottom. You had a number of characters and even systems getting rock bottom bubbles. Uh, even Dookie going into what happened. Well, I would say Dookie even next season would be rock bottom. So that, that's questionable. But certainly Bubbles, Randy, uh, Bodie, and even I was in uh, Bodie. And also another theme could have been I'm tired. So a couple of characters, Bodie just reached a point to where they were just tired of the game. Uh, McNulty was tired of being a, a straight laced cop. He wanted to get desperately wanted to get back into the action, uh, and then do and do major cases again. So those are those are the two, your two main themes: rock bottom and I'm tired. We now go into the deep dive. Uh, Bodie, the death, of course, of Preston Bodie brought us. So, of course, Bodie is killed uh, by Marlowe's peoples. Um, Bodie, of course, was seen by Malt. If you remember, I. Uh, Going, get into the uh, car of McNulty when McNulty, of course, got him off after he broke uh, the windshield of a cop car when he found out Kevin, when they pulled Kevin, uh, his friend Kevin out to bacon. And um, this character, you know, this character was was very, was really a character that you saw from the beginning of the show. I still, listen, even watching it last night, um, it still hit, it still hit hard as far as the death of Bodie. Like I thought, Bodie would be one of those characters that certainly would would last through the entire series. Uh, if you watched the entire season, you kind of saw you really saw this coming. Bodie was a man in essence. You know, you know, you. I, I think back to the line that Stringer that uh, Avon had to Stringer back in season three. Like you, a man without a country. Well, Bodie was kind of like in that same position, a man without a country. Um, the bark sales were done. He's working for Pop Joe. He was working for Pop Joe at the beginning as an independent. Well, not working for Pop Joe, but getting his stuff, getting his drugs from Pop Joe as an independent. Then he had to come under the thumb of Marlo, and Marlo wanted that territory. Once the territory started, um, once the once the block started getting a lot of business because of the because of the good stuff Pop they were getting from Pop Joe. This was before Marlo had joined the coop, the co-op. Um. And he hated everything that there was about Marlowe Stansfield and how Marlowe Stansfield did business. Yeah, we saw Bodie and Poop in season one kill Wallace. And we saw Bodie be fierce when he had to be, when he had to be. But he was a character similar to Omar that he did have a code. Like he did what he was told. He did, he did have a code. And Marlowe, the character of Marlowe Stansfield went beyond where Went, went places to went places that Bodie just was not going to go, even as a drug dealer who had who had bodies you know on him. Like there were just certain places that like Marlowe, and you hear him in a number of these scenes, and we'll go through a, we'll go through a couple of scenes involving Bodie. But he was he at certain at certain at a certain point he wasn't willing to he just couldn't take no more Marlowe, and the game wore him down to a point to where. Uh, he didn't want to do it. Man. He didn't. He just. He had no more fight in him. 
from a standpoint of, of, of wanting, to, wanting to do it, not so much wanting to walk away, but you see the action that he took. He knew that that was going to result in his death. Even snitching on the, that, that possibly result in his death. And he even got to a point to where uh, just the change of uh, how the Barks, just, just the, the shift from the Barksdales to the Stansfield organization was just uh, too much for Bodie to bear. Like Bodie, the Bar, you can say what you want about the Barksdales. The Barksdales were like family. They were like a family in a sense. Now, they did their shit. They killed people. They did some, uh, Avon and Shrinker did some terrible things. They did some horrible things. I'm not trying to like humanize them at any, by any stretch of imagination. Imagination, But, you know, you saw Avon. Avon would have, you know, cookouts. <laughs> you saw Avon would have a cookout. You saw Avon at, the, at a cookout in season one, episode two with his, with, with his family, with D'Angelo and Stringer and Brianna. Well, not Brianna, but uh, uh, D'Angelo's girlfriend, uh, who girlfriend and the baby. So, Avon and, Bar- and Marlo were completely different. Same, same killer instinct, same killer, same will kill you in a second. But they were completely different personalities in terms of how they ran their organizations. And you saw this. This was a recurring theme in in, in season four. You saw this mentioned by Kobe, and we'll talk more about that in best scenes. That this the West Side that once was was dead. That the new the, the West Side that we saw towards the latter part of towards the middle part of season three into season four was no longer was that was you know that was Marlo Stansfield Stansfield West Side West Side no family no code and no respect and that's that's what some words out of Bunny Colvin which we'll talk about later on in, in the podcast but that was exactly the way it was Bunny grew up under a code under a family in terms of the Barksdales and definitely under respect. So there was just places that he just was not willing to go. And he reached, you know, it got to a point to where it drove him to do something that was unthinkable about snitching and even doing something as dumb as kicking, kicking a police window, in a police car that got him arrested. Those are not Modi was a very, was, was, was a smart dude. Uh, and those are moves that were just uncharacteristic for, uh, for him. And I think that he, in the essence, when you when I looked at this episode again, he, in essence, kind of had a death wish a bit. Kind of wanted he kind of wanted out, um, and he wasn't going to go out. You know, he says the line, "Just don't ask me to live on my knees." He wasn't going to go out in the making, and he did. But out of the wire deaths, this one, I still say the toughest wire death was probably Wallace. Because Wallace was such a a, a, a I, Wallace wasn't wasn't a killer. He was just a regular drug dealer. He was he was taking care of the kids. That that and Michael B. Jordan was was great at playing the character. They caught Michael B. Jordan at the perfect time, which is how young he was with the braids and kind of like the baby face. So that Wallace, the Wallace one to me still hits the hardest as a toughest, as the most difficult wire death, uh, I think in the history of the show. But this was close. This is close because you see, uh, you know, you see Bodie, and we'll talk more. I don't want to step on the scenes, uh, step on some of the best scenes, but you see Bodie just put everything into this and basically, you know, got nothing out of it. And, you know, that's, of course, the drug game, but uh, you just you just see the despair and the tiredness that, you know, the body language and it, and it was on his face 
from the start of this episode, really from the start of this season, uh, from episode one of the season until the last uh, episode, until until his last scene. Um, let's get into best scenes. Bubbles, Landsman. So this this is the opening of this episode. Um, Bubbles, of course, is still just completely distraught and despondent in regards to his 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 involvement in accidentally killing Sherrod. Remember, they took it was a hot shot that was meant for the to, to kill the guy that had been robbing Bubbles and beat Bubbles up. Sherrod takes it, Sherrod dies, and Bubbles just, you know, you can't, you know, he turns he turns himself in. Landsman comes in, interviews him, uh, as he's being interviewed by the other police officer. Um, Landsman says, Hey, let me put my stuff down. He comes in, they they start talking, Bubbles does a full conf- confession, um, and then Bubbles throws up on Lasman. Uh, Lasman goes and Lasman throws up on the two cops. They go in to get changed or whatever to get the wipes, you know, the, the vomit off. And next thing you know, Bubbles is uh, trying to basically Bubbles almost hang, basically hangs himself, but not to a point to where he dies. Uh, again, this is the scene that kicked off the entire episode. Um, Bubbles has hit a point to where he didn't want to live no more. Like he had no. You know, after, you know, remember, he and Sherrod, if you don't remember, were very close. He brought Sherrod along, tried to teach Sherrod, tried to get Sherrod was staying with him. He tried to get Sherrod off the streets. He tried to help Sherrod uh, get Sherrod involved in his business. Sherrod was working with him, working for him and with him. And that's it. So that he treated Sherrod like like a son. And of course, we know Bubbles already has a son that that was taken away from him by the mother, rightfully so, as you know, Bubbles was on drugs the majority of his life but this was like a second son to him and he just could like the bubble like this this completely at this point of, of the series this absolutely completely broke bubbles um and remember at this point in the series he really doesn't have a support system like in the early seasons you had Kima, you had mcnulty uh the major like some of the even people in the major crimes unit he has no one at this point like he has literally even he has no one in essence like so he he Kima's doing her own thing she's not she, you know she's she's a detective and she's moving on to another unit at this point well she's working for the western at this point and she's not with major crimes her the who was left of major crimes was you know was at this point was well no this was the point where for the majority of the fourth season the major crimes unit was was just was outright terrible until uh, Lester took it over. But again, Bubbles at this point just didn't have that much support. He kind of kind of was on his own throughout the course of the season. And again, this completely just breaks him, doesn't want to live no more. Uh, luckily for him, they got back quick enough in time to where he uh, was able to live. And you saw him later on in the episode get visited by Whalen his sponsor and also Kima in the hospital in one of the, the last scenes. Kima couldn't even be, Kima couldn't even bear to see him so she'll, she'll, she'll check him out. She'll see him later and well he of course he breaks down in front of Whale and when they started you know discussing Sherrod and, and, and what have you and um, Landsman uh, this was a rare humane you know humanizing moment for Landsman as he you know he tells tells the officer you know tells Norris hey you know fuck the clearance we're gonna to toss this one back. Like this dude, we're not charging him with anything. He has way too much weight he's carrying right now. Well, he's he's carrying more weight than we could ever 
put on him with a charge. So Landsman has, you know, has his, you know, he Landsman normally is a by the book, much numbers, you know, a disciple of, of, of Rawls. But this was time, this was the time where Landsman, you know, was an actual human being and it showed some compassion and empathy towards bubbles and the pain that he was going through. Rube Colvin. So um Colvin at this point, the program has been completely his program has been destroyed. The kids are back in regular classrooms. Um he's taking a liking to Naaman. Naaman's stayed over his house at stayed over his house with, with um, along with his wife and they've taken a liking to him and he believes that at this point that he could probably save Naaman. Naaman. Naaman Bryce, that is, of course, this Weebay's son. And he tries to sell Weebay on the fact that, look, your son is not a drug dealer. Your son is not built for these corners. And in one or two years, he'll end up in the morgue. And if he's lucky, he will end up uh, up here with you, if he's lucky. Uh, Colvin explains to Weebay. First of all, the only reason Weebay is even speaking to Colvin is based off the fact that Tuddy vouched uh, for Colvin. Colvin. Colvin got got Cuddy to to make the connect with Weebay. Weebay, of course, jailed with uh with Cuddy. And uh they were close. Of course, we remember, remember going back to even like like a pat in the past story that Cuddy was a, a Barksdale enforcer back in the day, which of course we didn't see because that was that was, we didn't see it because the, the uh character Cuddy didn't appear to season three. So they, you know, him and Weebay are tight. Um these two go back. So when Weebay was on the corners as a young Barksdale soldier and when Colvin, this is when Colvin was a beat cop and moving up the ranks of the police of the, of the, uh, of the police department of the Western District. So they go, they, they, they remember each other from that standpoint. He mentions, hey, we used to bang on y'all all the time. He said, I remember that too. And they, they are both products of the old Western district of the old West from the standpoint of the family, the code and Colvin's telling him this new West side has no respect, no code. Uh, you got to get your, you, you have to help me with your son. Like you have to, you have to see that your son is not built for this. And you would think that what Colvin was saying was so, it was just like, it would be like a no brainer for Weebay to be like, yeah, no, you're right, man. Let me, let's, let's, let's do it. Do whatever it takes. Weebay loves his son, of course, but Weebay is so entrenched into the game. He has a code himself and he has, he believes in the game. Like he believes in the, in, in, in the streets. He believes even, even his, his current predicament. Remember the Barksdale's, the Barksdale's are done. So that Barksdale money was over with basically at the beginning of season four. There was an early episode of season four where Brianna told Naaman and Delanda that, hey, there's no more money. That's it. So Wubay is at a low point from the standpoint of he's not he's not receiving money from Barksdale's aid, from the Barksdale's anymore because there's no money to to receive. But he still believed in the drug game. Even in prison, he still believed in it. But to a to an extent, to a point to where it wasn't just automatic. That uh, he would he would uh, agree with Colvin, and even the last part is seen. You know, as he says, "You asking a lot, like you asking a lot." Like in reality, it's not asking a lot. He's he's trying to save your son's life. So like so, but again, that just shows you the loyalty that we may had to the streets. Uh, Colvin finishes the scene to say finishes the scene basically saying, "But I'm asking." 
And of course, we see later on in the episode that we may, we may have talked to the line that you're going to let him go and, um, you know, basically give him up to uh, Coleman. And, uh, Listen, Coleman did a great sell job, even though it shouldn't have been, it should have been, uh, it shouldn't have been really a tough sell, but Coleman was able to speak to Webay like a, in a way it, he was able to to get connect with Webay because they both grew up in the same era. They both were in, were in the streets, one as a cop, one as a, one as a, one as a criminal. And there's, he knows from Coleman that there's no bullshit. Like Coleman is not coming coming here trying to want wanting anything from him personally. Like this is not a game. He's literally trying to save this the life of his son. And it was this was a great scene to see two black men come to, to a conclusion to do the right thing, despite the differences that they have from a philosophical standpoint. One was a criminal, and one was a cop. Uh, and despite any past dealings that they past dealings that they had, remember he earlier in the scene says, "Hey, we used to bang on y'all all the time on the streets." McNulty, Bodie, um, this where this probably was this probably was the scene where uh, J.D. Williams earned his earned the MVP of the episode to give it that away. So McNulty gets Bodie, of course, got Bodie out of jail. Um, he picks him up. That's where Monk saw him. When Monk was going to uh, get talk to uh, to Bell Bondsman about Snoop and Chris, and you had in essence that sealed Bodie's fate, uh, sealed Bodie's fate. So takes him to get something to eat, and basically Bodie at this point is just done. He basically says, "Hey, you know, Marlo, I can't deal with this with Marlo and his kind. They gotta fall. I feel, you know, I feel old." You know, he basically he's basically saying, "I've never done any, I've I've given it my life to the game, and what is the game return for me? Um, I never missed a count, never fucked up a package, done everything I was told to do, and this is what this is what um is has been given to me in return. And again, this is a great performance by J.D. Williams. It's a guy who's just completely broken, completely broken. And that was a recurring game, a recurring theme uh, in terms of some of these characters. Where life system, uh, systematic failures and just various circumstances just completely broke these some of these, some of these characters. So Bodie uh, says, hey, I'm not snitching on any Barksdale's what's left of him but Marlo got to fall like I'll do what I gotta do um, just don't ask me to live on my knees and you hear McNulty say you know you're a soldier Bodie and you know Bodie says hell yeah and that's the end of the scene and they listen these three these two had a special connection throughout the course of the season um, they had there were three scenes that they had one in, in episode one where McNulty was giving Bodie props for how he Used it, the entrapment to get up to get off. If you remember, at the end of season three, that got him free. And then they had a scene in, like towards like middle of the season, or maybe even a couple few episodes before this one, uh, where Bodie was eating and they kind of were, you know, chastising each other playfully. Uh, you know, he's basically uh, joining uh, on Bodie, uh, joining on McNulty because McNulty's, you know. On the, it was basically has got been, have been not been bounced back, but chose to be be a patrolman again. And he says, "Don't break a pencil point." So they have developed a relationship over the course of this season. Um, 
and you see McNulty's reaction when he found out through Carver that uh, when Bodie died, how just how devastated he was, how frustrated he was, and this kind of reels McNulty back into the mix as far as going back into uh, the major crimes unit. But in Bodie, you saw a guy that was that just that reached his breaking point. It completely reached his breaking point, and the guy that was not willing to conform into this new way of, of doing things. And you remember we saw that last season in season three, where you have characters that were not willing to perform who could not I mean, Avon couldn't do it. Uh, McNulty tried to do it. And then, I mean, McNulty ended up doing it at the end of the season, but Avon couldn't do it. Stringer couldn't do it. Uh, you had characters that just uh, could not conform to, not, no, put Stringer aside. That's, that was a different thing. Avon couldn't do it. Avon could not reform to the to the new way of doing things. He was going. Avon was going to be Avon. Bodie was Bodie was going to be Bodie. Bodie was ne was never going to dance to the tune of, of Marlo Stansfield. That's just not how he was cut out. That's just not how he was cut out. Like Bodie was about having a having a code. Bodie was about the family of the Barksdales. Uh, remember, season one they bailed him out. They bailed him out when he got when he got when he got arrested multiple times. They bailed him out. The first time when he hit when he punched the cop, uh, he he hit a cop, which was stupid. But they still bailed him out. And he messaged that, hey, you know, where where my pay lawyer at? And that's not how the that's not how the standstill operate. Like they don't. That's not how they move. They and the stand members. They, they, let's be honest. Bodie was always was like, it was at the bottom. He never was really part of the standstill organization. He just felt felt under them because of them taking over that corner. He never, they never looked at him as anything. As he was nothing to them, and they treated him as so. So um, he was done at this point, um, and uh, chooses to uh, says that he was snitch on uh, on Marlo, which in essence, of course, sealed his fate. Carver, Randy, um, again, Carver at this point. Carver has done everything he can do for Randy, but Randy's Randy is going to go back into the system. He takes him to the group home. Uh, Randy thanks Carver for all he did. Um, he can see the guilt on Carver's face. He recognized. He also recognized what Carver had what Carver had done. Um, Randy goes back into the system, and again, this was, Randy was a product of complete systematic failure. Everybody in the season failed Randy. Herc, Arketty, the, the school system, everybody failed Randy. With the, with the exception of his foster mother, mom, everybody failed Randy. Um, his friends, to a lesser extent, I mean, even the, the kids in the school, with, you know, convincing them to be a lookout for the girl when the girl was having sex with the dude uh, in the bathroom. Everybody felt ran, failed Randy in some form, in some way, shape, or form. Uh, you know, Herc's incompetence, uh, which led to a chain of the chain, uh, which led to a, a number of events, a chain of events that would that would do Randy in. And you see Carver get back into the car and just you know punches punches horn and just because he knows what's going to happen. He know Carver. Carver's seen this movie before. Remember Carver's. You know, spent years chasing, uh, you know, Coop and uh, chasing uh, Bodie. Like he knows that that Randy could probably is probably going to end up being like the next Bodie. He's seen again. He's seen this movie before. 
He knows what, what happens to kids that, that are thrown back into the system, group homes and what have you. And he knows that this should have and probably could have been, this could have probably been avoided. So you see uh, Carver uh, just devastated by this. And you, you will see, if you go watch season five, the effect that this will have on Carver. So those are some of the best scenes. I could have added, there, there also was a scene with Delanda, uh and Weebay. You also had a scene um I would say the the scene where all you know they're looking at all the bodies and you see all I mean also there also was a scene with uh Snoop with uh Snoop um Bunk and Kima that, that could have been up there. But these were the four major scenes that kind of drove that drove this episode an episode that had a number of uh great scenes in it the kids so we see the fate of the kids they all end up going their separate ways for the most part um now michael goes of course he's basically under the the, the tutelage of the stanford organization he kills someone his innocence is completely gone uh randy ends up in the group home Randy ends up, in the, ends up with the group home, and he's destined to become the next Bernie. And of course, Dookie joins Mike. Uh, goes he goes goes to live with Mike, and of course, he's out. He was scared to death to go to high school. Uh, wanted no part of that. And he chose, and he's on the corner selling, for, selling on Mike's corner. The only one that got out clean was Naaman. So, you know, they go from the beginning of the season with you know getting to kid shit and, and having a, there having been a sense of, of innocence uh and you know hanging with each other to basically like i said with the exception of mike and uh dookie going in essence their separate ways um and again they we saw if you look at this season they again we saw the number of failures systematically that failed these kids and even in this episode, you know, Carchetti could have taken, there's a $54 million deficit that was left in the, in the education, that was left in education by Mayor Royce, in the previous, who's the previous mayor. Carchetti could have went to the governor and got and asked for the money. Carchetti chose not to because he, he did not want to be, because he didn't, because of his own pride, he didn't want to beg the he didn't want to have to ask a Republican uh mayor, excuse me, a governor, Republican governor for money, one, and two, he uh, sacrificed the, the kids and the education for his own personal um, ambition because he he wanted to be governor. So instead of taking the money, helping out the kids and that, with the education, he chooses to pass on the money. The kids get fucked over, but he will, in essence, he will later, at the end of this, at the end of the series, become governor. So that, you know, that was an example of Carchetti, you know, that was Carchetti choosing himself in essence, uh, instead of doing what would have been the right thing and that's what that's what that would be take the money to help out the education system that was broken already. The MVP, uh J D Williams it was a runaway for the MVP of this episode. Uh the character, I mean, the character of course he plays Bodie Brodus. And this cat, this episode was this. This was this was a JD Williams Bodie Brothers episode from start to basically from start to finish, uh, where he's in the scene with, where you know, 
it was in three significant scenes. Of course, the scene that he died where he gets killed. Uh, they were not going. They were. He. They refused to go. He refused to go in one of those bacons. They. They would have had to kill him, which they did. Uh, the scene with uh, with uh, McNulty was a powerful scene, and just you can see the wear and tear of the life of the drug life that it had on this particular character. And again, I thought JD Williams was phenomenal um, in this in this episode, and also Randy as well, Maestro Harrow. The young man who plays Randy would could have would have been a runner up for MVP. He some of the scenes, uh, you know, as he's thanking uh, Carver, it was a it was a powerful scene. Yeah, he was also tremendous throughout the course of the whole throughout the course of the whole season. But in this episode, I thought he did uh, did a wonderful job uh, as well. Um, but this was a this was a a, a Bodie Brothers episode for sure. That's going to wrap it up for this latest edition of the real deal podcast of course this episode final grace is definitely in the real deal podcast hall of fame of episodes again it's one of my favorite second favorite wire episode of all time one of the one of the great television episodes of all time um without question um i would just i would absolutely encourage especially if you're in education to go back and watch season four is is is, like i said the best the best season of television in television history in my opinion that's going to wrap it up for this latest edition of the Real Deal Podcast. This podcast will be out tomorrow. Also, stay stay on stay on the lookout for the latest edition of uh, Snowfall Season 2, Episode 2. That will be out as well. I will see you soon. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. So long.